Chapter 8, Expansion of Preaching, Visits to the Tribes During the days of Hajj, people would gather in Mecca from far and wide, and in the Ashari Hurum, very large assemblies would be held in significant numbers at Uqaz, Majina, and Dul Majaz. From the start, it was a custom of the Holy Prophet ﷺ to utilize such occasions to his advantage. He would visit the various encampments of the Arab tribes and would invite them to Islam. However, until now, naturally the attention of the Holy Prophet was more directed towards the Quraysh of Mecca. Nonetheless, during the days when the Quraysh of Mecca had besieged the Muslims in the valley of Abu Talib, the Holy Prophet began to turn his attention towards the other tribes of Mecca. As such, during the era of siege in the peace of ashur Harum, the Holy Prophet would especially visit the various tribes who had arrived for Hajj. He would regularly visit the assemblies at Uqaz, etc and preached the message of Islam. However, the Quraysh of Mecca began to create hindrances in this preaching as well. They knew that for these tribes to become Muslim was almost as dangerous as the conversion of the Meccans themselves. As such, it was due to the opposition of the Quraysh that although the Holy Prophet visited various tribes at numerous occasions, and he would go to every camp presenting them with the invitation to Islam, there was no prospect of success. Journey to Taif when the ban was lifted and the Holy Prophet ﷺ found a sort of freedom in his movements, he decided to visit Taif and invite its people to Islam. Taif is a famous place situated 40 miles to the southeast of Mecca. During this era, it was home to the Banu Taqif. Putting aside the specialty of the Kaaba, Taif was recognized equal to Mecca and many eminent, influential, and affluent people resided there. The people of Mecca themselves admitted to this importance of Taif. As such, it was the very Meccans who said, Why has not this Quran from God been sent to some great man of Mecca or Taif? Therefore, in Shawal, the Holy Prophet took a journey to Taif by himself. On the authority of other narrations, Zad bin Haritha also accompanied him. Upon his arrival, the Holy Prophet remained there for ten days, and one day after another he met with many chieftains. But like Mecca, it was not in the destiny of this city to accept Islam either. Therefore, all of them refused. As a matter of fact, they mocked at the Holy Prophet. At last, the Holy Prophet ﷺ approached the grand chieftain of Taif named Abdu Yalal and invited him to Islam. But he also refused. Rather, in a manner of mockery, he said, If you are truthful, then I have not the strength to speak to you. And if you are a liar, then to speak to you is useless. Then, concerned that the youngsters of the city may become influenced by the Holy Prophet, he said, It is best that you leave this place, for there is nobody here who is willing to listen to you. After that, this evil man had the miscreants of the city start off behind the Holy Prophet. When he left the city, this rabble chased the Holy Prophet and began to bombard him with rocks, due to which the entire body of the Holy Prophet became drenched in blood. These people pursued the Holy Prophet for three miles, more or less, and cursed at him and threw stones at him continuously. At a distance of three miles from Taif, there was an orchard, which belonged to a chieftain of Makkah named Utbah bin Rabia. The Holy Prophet took refuge in this orchard, and his ruthless enemies returned exhausted. Standing beneath the shadow, the Holy Prophet prayed before Allah in the following words, O my Lord, 
I complain to you of my helplessness and my inability and my helplessness before the people. O oh my God, you are the most merciful, and for you are the guardian and protector of the feeble and helpless. You are my Lord. I seek refuge in the light of your countenance. It is you who dispels all darkness, and it is you who bestows the inheritance of favor in this world and in the next. At this time, Utbah and Shaiba were in their garden when they saw the Holy Prophet ﷺ in this state. Perhaps moved by emotions of near or far relations, or perhaps national responsibility, they sent the Holy Prophet a tray of grapes in the hand of their Christian slave named Adas. The Holy Prophet took them and addressed Adas, saying, Where are you from, and a follower of which religion? I am from Nineveh, responded Adas, and a Christian. The Holy Prophet inquired, The same Nineveh, which was home to the righteous servant of God, Jonah, son of Matthew? Yes, responded Adas, but how are you aware of Jonah? He was my brother, said the Holy Prophet, for he was a prophet of Allah, and I am also a prophet of Allah. Then the Holy Prophet preached the message of Islam to him, which moved him greatly. In his passion of sincerity, he moved forward and kissed the hands of the Holy Prophet. Utbah and Shaiba observed this sight from afar. As such, when Adas returned to them, they said, What happened to you that you began to kiss the hands of this man? This man shall ruin your faith, while your religion is better than his. The Holy Prophet rested in this orchard for some time. He then departed from here and arrived at Nakhla, which is situated at a distance of approximately one day's journey from Makkah and he remained there for a few days. After this, the Holy Prophet departed and reached the mountain of Hira, and sensed the apparent failure at Da'if until the possibility of the Makkans growing overly bold, the Holy Prophet sent to Mutim bin Adi that I wish to enter Makkah. Can you help me in this regard? Although Mutim was a firm disbeliever, his disposition possessed graciousness, and in times like these it was against the nature of noble Arabs to refuse. For this reason, along with his sons and relatives, fully armed, they stood by the Kaaba and sent word to the Holy Prophet that he may enter. The Holy Prophet entered and performed the Tawaf of the Kaaba, and along with Mutim and his children, escorted under the shadow of swords, the Holy Prophet entered his home. On the way, when Abu Jahal witnessed Mutim in this state, he was astonished and inquired, Have you given Muhammad refuge or have you become a follower? Mutim responded, I am only one to give refuge, not a follower. Upon this, Abu Jahal said, All right, then there is no problem. Mutim died in a state of disbelief, but the Muslims were not ones to lose sight of rightly due value. Alluding to the gracious treatment of Mutim, Hassan bin Thabit, who is practically the court poet of the Holy Prophet said many passionate couplets in his praise, which have been vouchsafed in his collection to this day. The journey of Taif was a special occurrence in the life of the Holy Prophet. The details of this journey shed light on the lofty magnificence of the Holy Prophet, his astronomical magnanimity, and his incomparable patience and steadfastness. As such, Sir William Muir writes, There is something lofty and heroic in this journey of Muhammad, a solitary man, despised and rejected by his own people, going boldly forth in the name of God, like Jonah, and summoning an idolatrous city to repent and support his mission. It sheds a strong light on the intensity of his belief in the divine origin of his calling.
It is mentioned in Hadith that on one occasion it was inquired of the Holy Prophet by Hajjat Aisha, Were you ever confronted by a day more difficult than the Battle of Uhud? The Holy Prophet responded, O Aisha, your people have compelled me to confront times of severe adversity. Then the Holy Prophet described the details of his journey to Taif and said, During my return from this journey, the angel of the mountains came to me and said, God has sent me to you that if you so command, I may bring the two mountains of this valley together upon these people and destroy them. But the Holy Prophet said, Nay, nay, I trust that Allah the Exalted shall give birth to such people from among them who shall worship the one true God. Delegation of Jinn before the Holy Prophet with relevance to the journey of Taif, it is narrated that when the Holy Prophet was returning from his journey during the night at a place called Nakhla, when the Holy Prophet was occupied in reciting the Holy Quran, a party of jinn composed of seven entities who came from a city in Syria named Nasiban passed by the Holy Prophet, listened to his recitation, and were moved. When these jinn returned to their people, they mentioned the prophethood of the Holy Prophet and the Holy Qur'an. This occurrence is mentioned twice in the Holy Qur'an, and from both these instances, it is apparent that the Holy Prophet was not directly aware of the arrival of these jinn. Instead, after their departure, the Holy Prophet was given knowledge of this occurrence by the revelation of God that a party of jinn listened to your recitation and left. This occurrence has been mentioned in various places in Hadith. In finer points, although the descriptions of historical accounts vary from that of Hadith, the primary notion is the same, which is that a delegation of jinn listened to the recitation of the Holy Prophet in a state of travel, and they returned to their people deeply immersed. It is possible that this occurrence took place more than once, due to which there seems to be a contradiction in various narrations. However, at this place, we are not concerned with the apparent details of this occurrence. Rather, the purpose is briefly expound the meaning of jinn in this context, and to understand that the primary purpose they came for in search of the Holy Prophet, listened to the recitation of the Holy Quran, and then set back. Therefore, it should be known that belief in the existence of jinn is an issue which can be found in practically every nation of the world. It can be found in both religious and secular literature, but there is much disaccord in its details. In the literature of some nations, a sort of supernatural power has been attributed to jinn, and they have been held worthy of worship. In other nations, without exception, it has been labeled an evil species, and has been sought of as Satan and Iblis. However, Islam rejects both of these ideologies and teaches that jinn are a hidden species of Allah the Exalted, which are composed of both good and evil beings. However, the realm of the species is completely separate from humans and they live in a world of their own. Albeit, by the will of Allah, the Exalted at times, the existence of jinn is shown to exclusive people in an allegoric form. However, physically, both of these species are completely separate, and they have no relation or connection to one another. In the Holy Quran, jinn has been mentioned at 26 different places. The same implication is not meant by the word jinn at all of these places, because as we shall now elaborate, this word is used in the Arabic language to express different meanings. 
However, the knowledge that is derived by the collective study of these 26 places is that jinn are a hidden species of God the Almighty, which like humans, although its details are much different, possess the ability to progress and degenerate. Moreover, within its appointed limits, it has been endowed the freedom of choice to tread a path of good or evil in its deeds. However, as we have mentioned, the word jinn has not been used to refer to this hidden species in every instance. Rather, in certain places this word has been utilized in its conventional form. In actuality, jinn is an Arabic word, the root of which possesses the meanings of being hidden, hiding, to be out of sight, to be veiled, to come under protection, or to create shadow or darkness. Therefore, in the Arabic language, Jannah is a garden, because its trees create a shadow beneath it and hide the land. Janine refers to a child which is still in the womb of a mother, because it is hidden and in the veils of the womb. Majana is a shield which a soldier in combat finds protection during war. Janun refers to madness because it puts a veil over one's senses. The heart is called Janan because it is hidden in the breast. Similarly, Janan also refers to the night or clothing because they are a means of causing darkness or covering. The grave or a shroud is called Janan because both of them cover the deceased. Jan refers to a snake because it generally lives a life in the hidden layers of the earth. Junna is a woman's mantle because it swathes the head and breast, and so on and so forth. According to this principle, at times, in the Arabic idiom, the word jinn is used to refer to leaders and chieftains who, on account of their leadership, high status and pride, do not intermingle with the general society and live their lives in complete separation. Therefore, many a time in the Holy Quran, the word jinn has been used in contrast to inns. In other words, in contrast to the common people, it has been used to refer to the upper class. And in these meanings, the word is used in a negative connotation. Similarly, the word jinn is said to refer to a people who reside in such a secluded and isolated place as it is not possible for them to interact with other people. In light of these very two meanings, the implication derived by various research scholars regarding the delegation of jinn which visited the Holy Prophet is that either these people belong to the upper class who abstained from visiting the Holy Prophet publicly, or they were a people who belonged to a far-off and barren land, who due to their environment may have lived in complete separation and seclusion from other people. We do not hesitate in accepting this interpretation at all, and if the implication of a delegation of jinn to Nakhla actually means a, de a delegation of the upper class visited, or a people of an isolated, far-off, and barren land presented themselves before the Holy Prophet, then in this the indication of God Almighty would be that, O Messenger, do not feel worried or grieved, for the time quickly approaches when, what to talk of the common people, magnificent and grand chieftain shall come beneath your banner, and people of far-off barren lands shall place the necklace of your obedience around their necks. However, if by jinn the implication is a secret species, the details of which are hidden to us, but its existence is substantiated by the text of the Holy Quran, even then there is no room for a logical person to be skeptical. The power of God the Almighty and the sphere of His creation are so extensive that the sight of any of His creation cannot reach its limit.
In addition to humans in this physical world, there are thousands, tens of thousands, nay, millions of other species that exist, among which, despite being physically visible, some remain hidden from our weak sight. Even though medicine and other faculties of science definitely and categorically affirm their existence, then what hesitation can there be in accepting that there may be a species of Allah the Exalted known as Jinn? which despite being hidden from the human eye, exists and lives in the same way as humans, and exist in their own realm. Undoubtedly, Islam does not give us teachings of jinn, such as we should believe in a species, the like of imaginary monsters, which despite being hidden from the human eye, move about as spectacles, and cause a means of happiness or fear to humans by coming before them in different forms. Such thoughts are the product of ignorance suspicions, evidence of which cannot be found in Islamic history, Hadith or the Holy Quran. However, just as there are infinite number of other creations of Allah, the exalted in this world, which include many minute, filthy, and pure, visible and invisible creations, in the same way, one creation of Allah, the exalted, is that of jinn. As the name reveals, it is hidden from the sights of man, belongs to a separate world, and in normal circumstances has nothing to do with humans. This belief is one upon which no rational individual can object. The remaining the question is that, in light of these interpretations, what was the implied intent in the case of the delegation of jinn that visited the Holy Prophet? As such, in this case, the following occurrence shall be divinely inspirational sight. Its implication is that during this era of apprehension and helplessness, by showing the Holy Prophet this sight, Allah the Exalted is indicating that, O Messenger, although our succor is always by your side, but just as an access of heat attracts clouds, in the same way, the time has now come that our hidden powers shall begin to work extraordinarily in the assistance of your mission. Therefore, after this, it was not long before the conditions were transformed. With the unveiling of the migration of Yathrib, the hidden manifestations of God took the banner of Islam to great heights. Moreover, use of the word seven in these narrations is also an insinuation towards the absolute manifestation of hidden powers. In Arabic, the number seven is used in the expression of absolutism. By alluding to the city of Nasiban in Syria, it appears as if the indication is that after Arabia, Islamic victory shall be brought about from Syria. Spread of Islam in the Daus tribe In early times, in addition to the personal endeavors of the Holy Prophet, a substantial means by which the propagation of Islam took place was that when a tribesman converted through him, Islam would gradually spread the rest of the tribe. Or when the Muslims would travel from Mecca, they would take the rays of this light along with them. For example, in the Banu Gifar, through Abu Dar Gifari, in Abyssinia, due to the immigrants to Abyssinia, and in the Ashar tribe of Yemen, due to Abu Musa Ashari, Islam had been introduced. Now, by the grace of Allah, its influence had reached another tribe as well. Dufail bin Amr was a revered chieftain of the Daus tribe and was also a poet. He came to Mecca to attend a festival, and when the Quraysh saw him, they were concerned that by meeting Muhammad he may become a Muslim. For this reason, they went to him and said, You have come to us in a time when a man has spurred grave disorder and rift. His beliefs disunite father and son, brother from brother, and husband and wife. We are fearful that you might become influenced by his spellbinding words. As such, we forewarn you, 
Do not be lured into his thoughts. Tufail said, The Quraysh warned me about this so forcefully that I believed them and became fearful, so much so that in order to protect myself, I plugged my ears to ensure that this magician's voice does not reach my ears unpredictably, lest I fall victim to a trial. One morning, I went to masjid haram and saw the Holy Prophet offering his prayers in one corner. This sight seemed admirable, to me, so I gradually approached him. The power of God was such as although my ears were plugged, I could still begin to faintly hear, and in my heart I said, May my mother forsake me. I am a sensible man, and possess the aptitude to differentiate a good and evil individual. What harm is there that I listen to this man? If it is good, I shall believe it, and if it is evil, I shall reject it. As this thought entered my heart, I unplugged my ears and began to listen to the recitation of the Holy Quran. When the Holy Prophet ﷺ completed his prayers and started off towards his home, I pursued him and said, Tell me about your religion. The Holy Prophet recited the word of God to me and preached the message of unity, the result of which was that I became a Muslim instantly. Then I said, O Messenger of Allah, I possess a distinct status within my tribe, and people pay heed to me. Please pray that through me, Allah the Exalted guides them unto Islam. The Holy Prophet approved of this and prayed. When Tufail returned home, first he preached to his father and wife, and they became Muslim. Then he turned towards his tribe and invited them unto Islam, but they rejected and did not accept. Quite the contrary, they grew in their hatred and opposition. Observing this, Tufail presented himself before the Holy Prophet and said, O Messenger of Allah, my people have rejected and have grown in their opposition, so pray against them. The Holy Prophet raised his hands, but instead of praying against them, said the following words, O my Allah, grant guidance to the Daus tribe. Then the Holy Prophet said, Return to your people and continue preaching with love and compassion. Tufail says, I returned to my tribe and continued preaching to them until the Holy Prophet migrated from Makkah and the Battle of Badr, Uhud, and the Confederates took place. It was then that my tribe accepted Islam. After this, I migrated to Medina with 70 families. This was the time in which the Holy Prophet was engaged in the Battle of Khaybar. Hazrat Abu Huraira, who is a renowned narrator of Hadith, was from the Daus tribe and came to Medina with these very people. Regarding Tufail bin Amr, it is also narrated that when the Quraysh of Makkah began to trouble the Holy Prophet and the Muslims more severely, he requested the Holy Prophet, Come and stay with me. Upon which the Holy Prophet responded, This matter is in the hands of Allah. When he instructs a migration, only then shall I leave. And wherever he instructs, it is there I must go. Miraj and Isra The significance of Miraj and Isra in Islamic literature and the elaborate discussions which have been conducted pertinent to them are not hidden from anyone. These discussions can be found in literature ranging shortly after the demise of the Holy Prophet until now. However, as a historian, we need not involve ourselves in such debates. For us, it is sufficient that in a brief manner we put before our readers the substantiated historical account pertinent to the Miraj and Isra alone. However, prior to the presentation of actual occurrences, it is necessary to elucidate certain principal misunderstandings. 
which have generally been committed in this discussion, to which unfortunately a class of the Muslims have also fallen victim. The first error is that a portion of the Muslims, and following them, a majority of the non-Muslim historians have thought that the Miraj and Isra are two words to describe the same instance, or at least that they are names to describe two different portions of the same occurrence. However, by the study of the Quran, authentic hadith, and reliable historical narrations, the established fact of the matter is that in actuality, the Miraj and Isra are two separate occurrences. Although they may have occurred closely to one another, and whether or not they possess a connection and relation to one another in the spiritual sense, in actuality, they are separate and different from one another. The Miraj is the name of that spiritual journey of the Holy Prophet in which he was taken from Mecca to the heavens and then eventually was presented in the royal court of the Lord of all the worlds. The Isra is another journey in which the Holy Prophet was taken from Mecca to Jerusalem under various wisdoms. The Holy Quran is separately mentioned these two journeys in different chapters, each with their different conditions and details. As such, insinuation towards the spiritual flight of the Holy Prophet, as mentioned in Surah Najm, is the Miraj. Similarly, in Bukhari, the verses of Surah Najm have also been attributed to the occurrence of the Miraj. The journey mentioned in chapter Bani Israel refers to Isra. The circumstances and details of both of these are completely separate from one another. For example, whilst mentioning the Isra in chapter Bani Israel, the Holy Quran does not even remotely allude to the heavens, and in account of Surah Najm, Jerusalem is not mentioned at all. Similarly, a close analysis of a hadith also proves that the Miraj and Isra are different. As such, Bukhari, which is agreed upon as the most authentic book after the Holy Quran in Islamic literature, contains separate chapters for the Isra and Miraj, and has implied that both of these are two different occurrences. The purpose behind indicating separate beginnings for these two journeys also hints towards the reality that these two journeys were separate from one another. In other words, where it is mentioned that during the Isra of the Holy Prophet was given a tour from Mecca to Jerusalem with relevance to the Miraj, the words which are recorded are that the Holy Prophet was taken into the heavens from Mecca. Therefore, the commencement of both these journeys separately took place from Mecca, which evidently manifests the fact that both these occurrences are quite separate and distinct from one another. In addition to this, the Hadith of the Miraj has been mentioned at six different places in Bukhari, and similarly, the Hadith of the Isra has also been mentioned at numerous places. Moreover, on various occasions, due to the imprudence of various narrators, to some extent, although the details of the Miraj and Isra have been partly intermingled in the illusion of the Miraj, nowhere has it been mentioned that the Holy Prophet went to Jerusalem. Quite the contrary, in this entire narration, the ascension of the Holy Prophet has been mentioned from Mecca directly to the heavens, which conclusively proves the extrication of the Miraj and Isra. Similarly, in Sirat ibn Hisham, which is the most well-known book among the works of Sirat, the Miraj and Isra have been discussed completely separate from one another. It has clarified that subsequent to his journey from Mecca to Jerusalem, the Holy Prophet returned to Mecca and the occurrence of the Miraj took place separately thereafter. Likewise, the famous historian Ibn Sa'd has also alluded to the Miraj and Isra on different dates, along with their separate details. 
By these testimonies, it is irrefutably proven that although the Miraj and Isra may possess a spiritual relation or connection to one another with regards to the actual occurrence, they were completely separate and distinct instances from one another, which occurred discreetly along with their corresponding details. Therefore, among the early scholars, a majority of them have declared the Miraj and Isra separate from one another. In this discussion, the second fallacy is that these journeys have been understood as physical, as if they took place with the material body, even though all three of the above-mentioned testimonies categorically reject this notion. Therefore, in the Holy Quran, where the Miraj has been mentioned, the following words are used, that which the heart of the Holy Prophet witnessed was completely accurate and true. Moreover, whatever the pure heart of the Holy Prophet witnessed was not misconstrued in any way. By this, it is clearly proven that this was a heartfelt vision and not a bodily or physical journey. In the same manner, an indication can also be found in Hadith which illustrates that the Miraj was a spiritual occurrence. As such, the words mentioned in the Hadith are that when the Holy Prophet was shown the vision of being lifted into the heavens, at that time he was sleeping. However, this sleep of the Holy Prophet was not like the normal sleep of ordinary people, rather was in accordance with a distinctive status of prophethood, in which his eyes would sleep, but his heart would not. In another narration, it is mentioned that the vision of the mirage was shown to the Holy Prophet in a state between sleep and wakefulness. In a third narration, it is mentioned that after the vision of the mirage, the Holy Prophet woke up. In a fourth narration, Hajjad Aisha indicates that if someone claimed that the Holy Prophet perceived God the Almighty with his physical eyes, then he lies, do not believe him at all. She further goes on to say, the thought of the Holy Prophet observing God the Almighty with his physical eyes makes me tremble. Furthermore, in the books of Sirat, narrations which prove that the mirage was a spiritual experience and not a physical journey are of no scarcity. Therefore, the famous Islamic historian Ibn Hishaq has recorded a narration from Hazrat Aisha that on the night of the mirage, the blessed body of the Holy Prophet did not disappear. Rather, during this entire duration, it remained in this material world. What greater evidence could possibly exist of the mirage being spiritual? Similarly, with regards to the Isra, it is mentioned both in the Holy Quran and Hadith that this was a spiritual vision which was shown to the Holy Prophet ﷺ under various wisdoms. As such, with relevance to this, the Holy Quran has mentioned three things. Firstly, this journey took place at night, which has been indicated by the use of the word Isra. Secondly, this journey was completed during the course of one night alone, as indicated by use of the word Layla. Thirdly, the purpose of this journey was so that we may show our messenger our signs. Now when we contemplate all three of these facts, confirm that the Isra was a spiritual journey and not a material or physical one. The reason being that the first and foremost in common circumstances, the name for an obvious journey is during the day and to travel during the night is only in exceptional cases. On the other hand, the appropriate time for a spiritual journey, meaning dreams, is during the night and for such instances to occur during the day are in exceptional cases. Therefore, by using the word night, Allah the Exalted has indicated this was a spiritual journey which occurred in the form of a dream. Otherwise, there seems to be no specific wisdom in the mention of night. Secondly, with regards to this journey, to use the words that it took place during the course of one night and came to an end illustrates no other purpose aside from the fact that an indication be made to its spiritual nature. The reason being that in normal circumstances, 
under the limitation of material resources for a journey to be made from Mecca to Jerusalem during the course of one night is impossible. Thirdly, with regards to the superlative purpose of this journey, where it is mentioned that we made our servant perform this journey so as to show him some of our signs, also proves that this was a spiritual experience. Because irrespective that an apparent or physical journey could have undertaken from Mecca to Jerusalem in the brief duration of one night, other than being a strange spectacle, it possesses no special majesty, which can be thought of as befitting to the status of prophethood. However, if this journey is interpreted as a spiritual experience in the form of divine inspiration, which visually depicts the forthcoming accomplishments and victories of the Holy Prophet and the Muslims, then undoubtedly this can be affirmed to as a great sign in the form of a powerful prophecy, in comparison to which a mere physical journey holds no value whatsoever. In addition to this, in the beginning of chapter Bani Israel, where the Isra has been mentioned, the word Ruya has been used with regards to the Isra, which proves without a doubt that this journey was in the form of a dream, and not a physical or bodily journey. However, at this place it should be remembered that in the Arabic language, the meaning of Ruya is not confined to dream alone. In accordance to Arabic idiom, the word Ruya is also used to describe every spiritual sight, which is shown to an individual by means of a dream or vision, and all kinds of spiritual visions are included therein. Therefore, wherever the word Ruya has been used to refer to Isra or Miraj, as per the Urdu idiom, it shall not be interpreted as a dream. Instead, the intent is to allude to a spiritual vision of extraordinary grandeur, which was shown to the Holy Prophet in light of his lofty and immense magnificence under divine wisdoms. In any case, by the clear instructions of the Holy Quran, the matter has been expounded that the Isra was not a physical experience. Quite the contrary, it was a spiritual journey, the superlative purpose of which was to exhibit various powerful signs of God. Similarly, with regards to the Isra, clear indication can also be found in Hadith that it was a spiritual experience and not a bodily and physical journey. As such, there is narration that when the Holy Prophet claimed that Allah the Exalted had taken him from Masjid al-Hiram in Mecca to Masjid al-Aqsa in Jerusalem, at this time the infidels of Mecca, some of whom had seen Jerusalem and also knew that the Holy Prophet had never gone to Jerusalem, objected that if this is true, present a scene of Jerusalem before us. Upon this, the disposition of the Holy Prophet became restless. Although he had seen Jerusalem in a dream, the Holy Prophet knew well that in the case of a dream, it is possible that this his depiction of the mind may not correspond with the apparent. Moreover, excluding the precise sights of his dream, the Holy Prophet did not even have an idea of the common landmarks in Jerusalem. For this reason, at this subjection of the infidels, the thought that the people may stumble naturally worried the Holy Prophet. But Allah the Exalted immediately brought the actual scene of Jerusalem before the eyes of the Holy Prophet. Witnessing it before his eyes, the Holy Prophet described the various landmarks of Jerusalem to the infidels, upon which they were silent in embarrassment. Now if the Isra took place with this physical body and the Holy Prophet had actually witnessed the scenes of Jerusalem with his physical eyes, then what was the need for him to be worried and for Allah the Exalted to show him a scene of Jerusalem again? The apprehension of the Holy Prophet at this objection of the Quraysh and the showing of this scene by God Almighty to the Holy Prophet again clearly proves that the Holy Prophet did not actually visit Jerusalem. 
This sight was shown to him only when the objection was made. In his first vision during the Isra, an illustration of Jerusalem was only shown to him as an abstract depiction upon which the Holy Prophet could not have described the details of that city. Therefore, by the Holy Quran, Hadith, and history, it is categorically established that the Miraj and Isra were purely spiritual experiences, which were shown to the Holy Prophet under special wisdoms. As for those who have claimed otherwise, in their hands is nothing but weak and empty argumentation. However, as we have mentioned above, by interpreting the Miraj and Isra as a spiritual experience, our intent is in no way to limit these visions to minor dreams which the Holy Prophet witnessed in his sleep. Anyone who entertains this notion has not understood the reality of the Isra and Miraj at all, and is at greater fault than those who have linked these visions to a physical and bodily state. Quite the contrary, the truth is that just as the spiritual faculties of individuals are sharpened, and refined based on spiritual rank, according to the status of one's nearness, Allah the Exalted also opens the doors of spiritual heights equally. It is for this reason that according to his lofty and magnificent status, these spiritual experiences were far ahead of even the finest visions of others in which the Holy Prophet was given a tour of the highest possible spiritual mountains, where to this day no man has stepped foot with a complete body of divine radiance. It is obvious that in comparison to this, a mere dream holds no value, nor does a mere physical and bodily flight, which is nothing more than a strange spectacle. God forbid our purpose is not to imply that God the Almighty does not possess the power to take a man with his physical body into the heavens. Rather, the purpose is merely that this is not proven by the Holy Quran, authentic hadith, and reliable historical accounts that in the Isra and Miraj the Holy Prophet was lifted with his physical body. Rather, quite the contrary, the proven fact is that this was a very fine and only spiritual flight, which the Holy Prophet experienced in the form of a vision. In a visual and symbolic manner, this flight possessed many hidden realities and indications which were fulfilled with great grandeur at their appointed times, and are still being fulfilled. On the other hand, at this instance, there is nothing wrong in stating that although anything is possible by divine power, there are certain things which God Almighty has himself declared to be against his custom. Among these very things is an individual's physical bodily ascension into the heavens. Therefore, it is clearly mentioned in the Holy Quran that in one instance, when the infidels of Makkah sought a sign from the Holy Prophet demanding, show us your ascension into the heavens under the divine will of God, he responded, Holy is Allah, I am but a man sent as a messenger. And it is against the custom of Allah for a man sent as a messenger of Allah to ascend into the heavens in this way. It is astonishing that the Holy Quran has mentioned this occurrence in this very chapter. Bani Israel, where the Isra has also been recorded. Similarly, in various other verses as well, it is clearly mentioned that an individual cannot escape the material limitations of this world. After the elucidation of these two principal misunderstandings pertinent to the Isra and Miraj, we now take up the actual occurrence. In other words, what were the details of these two visions? From which perspective did they substantiate the verses of God, and when did they occur? First, we take up the Miraj. Miraj is an Arabic word which has been derived from Araja, which means to ascend. Therefore, it is for this reason that in Arabic, Miraj is also a ladder. 
which is an instrument and means by which to climb upwards. The details of the Miraj have been recorded in the Holy Quran as follows. The Lord of mighty powers has himself taught Muhammad the one possessor of all strength, power, and majesty. Hence, due to this teaching, this messenger has, was risen so much so that progressing upwards he reached the uppermost horizon. Then he drew nearer to God, and God drew towards him, so that they became as it were one cord to two bows. Meaning the bows remain separate, but the place where the arrow is released becomes one, and there is no separation in terms of purpose or intent. In this state, God revealed to his prophet that which he revealed, and the pure heart of the messenger was not untrue in what it witnessed. Rather, whatever it saw was correct. Then, O ye people, do you doubt these spiritual visions of our messenger? Even though at that time he saw another vision as well, the same one which he saw, near the farthest lot tree, which is near the garden of eternal abode, and which a special manifestation was being expressed. Indeed, at that time, the eye of Muhammad did not deviate, nor did it surpass the appointed limits. Moreover, during this experience, the Holy Prophet witnessed the greatest of the signs of the God of Majesty. Unfortunately, there is somewhat of a disaccord in the Hadiths, which have been narrated in the explanation and elaboration of this Quranic reference. Moreover, as Per the custom, as a narration began to fall from its high status of reliability, weaker portions found more and more way of inclusion. Therefore, at this place, we shall limit ourselves to sound and reliable narrations alone, and even among these, we shall suffice upon only that portion which, according to our research, is free from disaccord and amalgamation. As such, it should be understood that the following is a summary of authentic narrations with regards to the Miraj. One night, the Holy Prophet ﷺ was resting in a section of the Masjid al-Hiram, referred to as the Hatim. He was in the middle state of sleep and wakefulness. In other words, the eye of the Holy Prophet slept, but his heart was awake. When the Holy Prophet saw Gabriel appear, Gabriel approached the Holy Prophet and woke him up, brought him to the fountain of Zamzam, and cut open his breast, after which he thoroughly cleansed the heart of the Holy Prophet with pure water. After this, a golden platter full of faith and wisdom was brought. Gabriel filled the heart of the Holy Prophet with this treasure of wisdom and faith, and then sealed the breast of the Holy Prophet. Gabriel then ascended into the heavens with the Holy Prophet, and upon reaching the door of the first heaven, he knocked. The gatekeeper inquired, Who is it? Gabriel responded, It is I, Gabriel, and with me is Muhammad. The gatekeeper inquired, Has Muhammad been summoned? Gabriel answered in the affirmative. At this, the gatekeeper opened the door and welcomed the Holy Prophet. When the Holy Prophet entered, he saw an elderly man who addressed him, saying, Welcome, O righteous prophet. Welcome, O righteous son. The Holy Prophet also presented him with the greetings of peace. The shadow of a large number of spirits fell upon this man. When he looked to his right, his face would glow in delight, and when he looked to the left, his face would shrivel in grief. The Holy Prophet asked Gabriel, Who is this honorable man? This is Adam, responded Gabriel. And to the right of him, among his progeny, is the shadow of the people of paradise, looking towards whom he becomes delighted. To the left of him is the shadow of the people of fire, looking towards whom he feels grief. After this, Gabriel took the Holy Prophet forward, and at the gate of the second heaven he was 
confronted with the same occurrence. Upon entering, the Holy Prophet saw two men who warmly received him, saying, Welcome, O righteous Prophet! Welcome, O righteous Prophet! The Holy Prophet also presented them greetings of peace, and Gabriel told him that this is Jesus and John, who are cousins. Similarly, Gabriel took the Holy Prophet with him to the third, fourth, and fifth heaven, where he met Joseph, Enoch, and Aaron correspondingly. At the sixth heaven, the Holy Prophet met Moses, and he welcomed him in the same manner. The Holy Prophet also gave him greetings of peace. When the Holy Prophet started ahead, Moses began to weep. At this, a voice was heard, O Moses, why do you weep? Moses said, O my Lord, this young man came from behind me, but his community shall enter paradise more so than my own. O my Lord, I did not believe that someone could come after me, yet surpass me still. After this the holy prophet entered the seventh heaven where he met Abraham who was leaning against the Baitul Mamur. The Baitul Mamur was the center of the heavenly places of worship for which the Kaabatullah was erected in this world as its symbolic representation. Abraham also greeted the holy prophet in the same way as Adam because the likeness of Adam he was also a grandfather to the holy prophet and the holy prophet also presented him with greetings of peace. After this the holy prophet moved forward and reached where no man had laid foot before. The holy prophet heard the sound of many pens writing from above him, which were as if the pens of decree and destiny. The holy prophet saw a lot tree, which was as if the final point of relation between the heaven and this world, and from it began the final abode of paradise. The fruit and leaves of this lot tree were very large and of strange type. When the holy prophet looked at this tree, an inexplicable manifestation was shown upon it, about which the Holy Prophet says, Words have not the power to describe it. There were four rivers flowing beneath this tree. Gabriel told the Holy Prophet that among these two rivers are the physical rivers of this world, the Nile River and the Euphrates, and the other two are the hidden rivers which flow to paradise. At this instance, the Holy Prophet witnessed Gabriel in his actual figure and form. The Holy Prophet saw that Gabriel was adorned with 600 wings. After this, the Holy Prophet was given a tour of paradise. In the end, the Holy Prophet witnessed that he was presented to the royal court of the mighty God. Allah the Exalted directly spoke to the Holy Prophet and gave him various glad tidings. Eventually, he was informed by God the Almighty that 50 prayers have been prescribed for the community of the Holy Prophet day and night. When the Holy Prophet returned with these injunctions, Moses stopped him on the way and inquired, What injunctions have you been given? The Holy Prophet related the adornment of 50 prayers. When Moses heard this, he was startled and said, I am experienced on account of my dealings with Bani Israel. In no way shall your community be able to bear so many prayers. Thus go back and request God to lighten these commands. The Holy Prophet returned, whereafter by a reduction of 10. Allah the Exalted ordained 40 prayers. However, on the way back, Moses stopped the Holy Prophet again and said, Even these are too many. Go back and request for further leniency. Upon this, the Holy Prophet returned again, and a reduction of 10 further prayers was approved. Therefore, in this manner, on the suggestion of Moses, the Holy Prophet would return to the court of God again, and again until finally five prayers were ordained. Upon this, Moses 
Moses stopped the Holy Prophet once more and proposed that he return again to request further leniency and said, I have seen the Bani Israel, and they were not able to perform even less worship than this. But the Holy Prophet ﷺ refused, saying, Now I feel embarrassed to return again. At this, the hidden voice was heard that, O Muhammad, these are five prayers, but they are equivalent to fifty, for we have fixed a reward of ten prayers for every one prayer. In this manner, our servants have received leniency and our actual order has been upheld. After this, passing through the different heavens, when the Holy Prophet came down again, his eyes were opened, meaning the state of vision began to fade. The Holy Prophet noticed that he was still resting in the Masjid al-Hiram, just as before. In some narrations in the account of the Miraj, it is mentioned that a horse-like animal named Burak was brought and the Holy Prophet performed his journey upon it and that two or three cups of milk, alcohol, etc. were presented before the Holy Prophet. However, research seems to tell us that these visions are actually connected to the Isra. And as per the belief of various early scholars, due to the error of narrators, it has been mixed with the account of the Miraj. The second occurrence is of the Isra. Isra is also an Arabic word which means to take someone from one place to another by night or to travel. Since the Holy Prophet was made to perform this journey by night, it has been named the Isra. The following has been mentioned in the Holy Quran with regards to the Isra. Glory to that God who carried his servant from the sacred mosque to the distant mosque during the course of one night, the environs of which we have blessed, that we may show our servant some of our signs. No doubt God is all-hearing and all-seeing. This was the same time when, O Messenger, we said to thee, Surely thy Lord has encompassed the people, and we have made not the vision which we showed thee but as a trial for men. A summary of the details mentioned in hadith pertinent to the Isra are as follows. One night the Holy Prophet saw that an angel came to him and an animal larger than a donkey but smaller than a mule named Barak which was extremely beautiful, white colored and of a long body was presented before him and he was mounted upon it. It took the Holy Prophet to Jerusalem. The steps of this animal would move in such speed as every step would take the sight to its final limit. The Holy Prophet reached Jerusalem very quickly where he tied this animal in quarters where past prophets would tie it. Then the Holy Prophet entered the mosque where a company of past prophets in which Abraham, Moses, and Jesus have been especially mentioned were already present. The Holy Prophet offered his salat with them in which he led the congregation and the other prophets followed. After this, Gabriel presented the Holy Prophet with two cups. In one of them was milk and in the other was alcohol. The Holy Prophet chose the cup of milk and rejected the alcohol. Upon which Gabriel said, You have understood that which is natural, for if you had taken the cup of alcohol, your community would have gone astray. In various other narrations, further details of this have been mentioned as follows. When Gabriel brought Barak before the Holy Prophet, and he began to mount himself, it glimmered upon which Gabriel said, Halt, halt, by God to this day, no man of such greatness has mounted upon you. At this it began to perspire profusely in embarrassment and stood silently. After this the Holy Prophet mounted himself upon it, and along with Gabriel he started off towards Jerusalem.
En route, the Holy Prophet encountered an old lady, and when he asked Gabriel, Who is this? Gabriel said, Move forward, move forward. When the Holy Prophet moved forward after some time, someone called him from one side of the path, saying, Muhammad, come here. But Gabriel once again said, Come on, move forward. When the Holy Prophet moved forward after some time, he met a group of people on the way, who greeted him in the following words, O Avval, the peace of God be upon you. O Ahl, the peace of God be upon you. O Hashir, the peace of God be on you. Gabriel instructed the Holy Prophet to respond to the greetings of peace. The Holy Prophet greeted them and then moved ahead. After some time, this very group met the Holy Prophet again and greeted him with the same words. After a little while and a third time, the same occurrence took place, after which the Holy Prophet reached Jerusalem. Here, Gabriel presented three cups before the Holy Prophet. In one was water, in the second alcohol, and in the third was milk. The Holy Prophet preferred the glass of milk and rejected the other two. Gabriel said, You have chosen that which is natural, for if you had taken the water, your community would have drowned. And if you had chosen the glass of alcohol, your community would have gone astray. Then Adam and the prophets after him were brought before the Holy Prophet, and he led them in congregational prayer. After this, Gabriel said, The old lady that you saw on your way here was the world, and now the time remaining of this world is equivalent to the life left of this old woman. As for the one who called you to one side of the path, he was Satan, who wished to divert your attention from your truth path and towards himself. The group that met you in the end and gave you greetings of peace were Abraham, Moses, and Jesus, the messengers of God. After this, the Holy Prophet returned to Mecca. These are the occurrences which the Holy Prophet was confronted with during the Miraj and Isra. Any individual who carefully analyzes these instances cannot remain in doubt with regards to their purpose or objective, especially when it is kept in mind that these were not physical occurrences. Quite the contrary, they were visions of the highest possible level, which the Holy Prophet was made to witness by the divine power of God. Even by little study, it is obvious that both in Miraj and Isra an indication to the illustrious rank of the Holy Prophet and the high status of his community has been made. In addition to the other indications, in both of these visions, the Holy Prophet's meeting with the past prophets and then surpassing them or be their leader in prayer were insinuations to this very reality. In these visions, the selection of various prophets to meet the Holy Prophet in particular also possesses a deeper connotation. In actuality, these prophets were those whose communities were soon to come into contact with that of the Holy Prophet, or these prophets possess special qualities. In these visions, the purpose was to express the reality that the person of the Holy Prophet was greater and superior to these prophets, even in their exclusive attributes. With relation to their communities, from one perspective, Jesus and Moses possessed a particular distinction from Abraham and Adam. It is for this reason that both during Isra and Miraj, these prophets were shown more prominently. Jesus was the central point of the Christian people, who even at that time had gathered significant power. Moses was not only the founder of Judaism, which the Holy Prophet was soon to be confronted by, rather he was a messenger to such a religious law, which in its compilation, appointment, and revelatory nature is quite similar to the Islamic law. In addition to being a grandfather to the vast peoples of Syria, Abraham was a commonly revered personality in Christianity, Judaism, Hanifiyat, and Islam. Finally, the person of Adam was as if the common point of all of mankind. 
From this vantage point, the purpose behind selecting these particular prophets in the Miraj and Isra was to indicate that in the blessed personage of the Holy Prophet, that magnificent being has been commissioned, who is the chief of the children of Adam, the pride of the first and the last. Furthermore, it has been decreed by God the Almighty that the community of the Holy Prophet would remain superior to all others. Being the founder of an illustrious dispensation, Moses was well acquainted with such signs. He immediately understood the reality of the spiritual flight of the Holy Prophet. And due to this natural envy, which is a characteristic of human nature, this vision temporarily put him to grief, that a young man from behind him is surpassing him. During the Isra of Abraham, Moses, and Jesus to call upon the Holy Prophet by the names Aval, Akhir, and Hashir, also hints towards the very fine point that, O crown of the prophets, we have understood that although you have been raised at the very end of all the prophets with respect to your status, it is you that is the first. It is you who are the common foundation of all the children of Adam beneath whose feet it has been decreed that all the nations of the world shall be united. Hence, accept our greetings of peace, and we present our prayers before you, that you may accept them. In addition to the above-mentioned superlative intent, which are the purposes of the Miraj and Isra, these spiritual journeys also possess their own individual objective and explanation. Inasmuch that we have studied, it is that the Miraj is more so for the manifestation of the spiritual perfections of the Holy Prophet, whereas the Isra is to illustrate the physical and worldly achievements of the Holy Prophet. For this reason, where the heavens were chosen for the Miraj, the final point of destination in the Isra was this very world. Similarly, during the Miraj where the Holy Prophet was risen into the heavens without any physical or material means, during the Isra, Barak has been used as a means of transport. This indicates that material means would be involved in the worldly and physical accomplishments of the Holy Prophet and his following, as signified to in the extraordinary speed of Barak. These physical means would merely serve as a veil, but the actual source would be that divine succor which would stand by the Holy Prophet every step of the way. The Holy Prophet surpassing other prophets during the Miraj signify that not only was the Holy Prophet the most supreme and exalted of all the prophets, not only was the religious law of the Holy Prophet finer and more superior to all other religious laws in its spiritual perfection, but also that such marvel has been vested in the spiritual munificence of the Holy Prophet as no other man has received its likeness. In other words, the true and complete following of the Holy Prophet can take an individual to the highest spiritual heights, and there is no spiritual status which an individual cannot acquire by following the Holy Prophet. All of the prophets prior to the Holy Prophet undoubtedly came to their people as an embodiment of mercy and blessing. No doubt they opened the doors to divine rewards for the ones they left behind, but prior to the Holy Prophet, no prophet had passed, the following of whom was sufficient enough for one to attain the highest possible perfections. Due to this, it was the custom of Allah the Exalted that in early communities, through one's complete obedience to a prophet, if an individual reached the highest spiritual limit, that this obedience could have resulted in, and after this, if that individual became capable of further spiritual progress by personal aptitude, zeal, and effort, God the Almighty would cause him to pass away as a direct reward or honor. 
but this was not owed to the competence of that prophet. However, the status of the holy prophet is so lofty and extraordinary that by following him an individual can attain every kind of spiritual rank. It is this right distinction which has been alluded to in the spiritual flight of the holy prophet during the miraj. Moreover, it is this very reality which has been alluded to in the following verse of the holy Quran. Muhammad is not only a messenger, but he is also the seal of the prophets by whose seal of attestation an individual can attain every type of uppermost spiritual rewards, and no spiritual status is out of reach of his obedience. During the miraj of the Holy Prophet met with the following prophets. Number one, Adam. Number two, Jesus. Number three, John. Number four, Joseph. Number five, Enoch. Number six, Aaron. Number seven, Moses. Number eight, Abraham. Among these eight prophets, two of them were seen in this vision merely due to their secondary relation. These were Prophet John and Aaron. The first prophet, in addition to being the cousin of Jesus, was also a forerunner who foretold the advent of Jesus. The second prophet was the assistant and brother of Moses. Hence, due to this physical and spiritual relationship, these two prophets were included in this vision. However, subtlety is that where on account of his discreet and separate position, John was shown along with Jesus on the other hand due to his subordination. Aaron was shown in the lower but adjoining heaven to that of Moses. Among the six remaining prophets, the particularity of Jesus, Moses, Abraham, and Adam have already been mentioned above, for they have been shown as representatives of their corresponding descendants and communities. The two remaining prophets, in other words, the particularity of Joseph and Enoch have been recorded in Hadith. Joseph was distinguished on account of his God-given beauty and Enoch due to his ex exceptionally high status. The purpose of bringing them into this vision was to express the intent that the holy prophet is superior and greater than these prophets, even in their particular specialities. One scene during the Miraj relates to that special manifestation which occurred at Sidratul Muntaha, about which the Holy Prophet stated, The power of words cannot describe its magnitude. This was an indication to the divine nearness of the Holy Prophet, in which the wonderful spectacle of the special manifestations between the beloved and lover were exhibited. Put aside its explanation, even attempt to fathom it is useless, albeit it is evident that in this vision the Holy Prophet witnessed a unique manifestation of God's power, such as only an individual of that status can acquire the power to see such a thing. The four rivers that were seen flowing beneath the lot tree, two of which were physical rivers and two hidden rivers, signified that the manifestations of God would be shown in two forms, apparently and hidden, spiritually and physically. The number four signified that the community of the Holy Prophet would be confronted with two eras of both physical and spiritual success each. One era of both these manifestations would be expressed in the person of the Holy Prophet and one in the latter days, which in their middle era, Muslims would fall and would be raised again. As such, in both eras, by the expression of these two manifestations, Stations, four rivers would be completed. Finally, there is the site of the adornment of the five daily prayers. Since one portion of this relates to the obvious, it is exempt of interpretation.
However, the scene of a reduction from fifty to five is a very fine spiritual vision, which alludes to the reality that the actual number of prayers that were to be ordained were five alone. But it was also decreed that the reward of these five prayers would be equivalent to fifty, for it was the will of Allah the Exalted that the community of Muhammad was to be granted the reward of its good deeds abundantly. For this reason, the prescribed prayers were initially made compulsory in the form of fifty. Then, in a subtle manner, the intent was to hint toward. Was the compassion of Allah the Exalted and the clemency of the Holy Prophet? Therefore, this number was reduced to five. Indirectly, the Muslims have also been made aware of the concern that do not be ones to show laziness even in these five prescribed prayers. Therefore, look hither. Do not be ones to show lapse. In addition to these realities, there were many other indications of the mirage as well. But in a historical count, there is no further room for greater elaboration. The occurrence of the Isra, as mentioned above, was an insinuation towards the imminent interaction which was to occur between the Holy Prophet and his community with other denominations. Moreover, the intent was to warn the community of the Holy Prophet of the upcoming threats during their era of triumph. In this instance. The very indication was that this era of difficulty, which Islam is being faced with, shall soon be dispelled, and the current darkness of adversity shall soon be transformed into the illumination of day. Therefore, in the verse of the Isra, the word "night" hints towards this very actuality, because visually speaking, an era of difficulty and adversity is depicted by nighttime. Then, for the departure and destination of this journey, the mention of the words Masjid-e-Haram and Masjid-e-Aqsa were for the purpose that, O Muslims, until now you have only come across the ancient religion and civilization of the Arabs, the center of which is the Masjid-e-Haram. But now the time fast approaches when you shall confront the Christians and the Jews, and your center of attention shall broaden from the Masjid-e-Haram and extend as far as Jerusalem, which is the religious center of the Jews and Christians. Therefore, it so happened that after the migration, the Islamic front was widened extraordinarily and came to contend Judaism and Christianity, and the prophecies made in the Isra were fulfilled to the letter. After this comes the scene of the horsemanship of Barak, as alluded to above. The intent of this was to express that in the battle between the Muslims and other nations, undoubtedly the victory of Islam of the Muslims shall apparently seem to be by physical means. However, these physical means shall be vested. With the exceptional power of Allah, the Exalted, in that the results which shall be brought about by God shall not have affinity to these physical means. The progress of Muslims shall advance as if soaring forward in the likeness of electricity. Therefore, it happened as such. Thirdly, the spiritual vision also signified that the gate of an environ which was being opened for the Muslims and Allah had vested every kind of blessing in it for the Muslims, as He stated, "We have made the environment of this." New arena, blessed for you. History testifies that it happened as such. When Islam left the boundaries of Arabia and the Arabian people, it felt as if this environment had already been prepared from before. And in this battle, these remarkable victories had been predestined. During his journey, the elucidations of the various sites which the Holy Prophet was confronted with are present within the actual vision itself. In these times of triumph, the wealth and provisions of this world will invite the Muslims. The provisions of this world may be used in as much as necessary, but since an abundance of It possesses the ability to drown. The Muslims should remain vigilant. 
The sighting of Iblis is a representation of religious misguidance and darkness. Muslims have been forewarned that in their triumphant onslaught, satanic forces should not turn them away from the path of justice. Then the meeting with prophets not only holds a message of blessings and peace, but also means that in the future times of victory, whilst benefiting from the blessings of Islam, the nations of the world shall admit to its greatness. Therefore, it is an open page of history that the current advancement of Europe and America is due to their interaction with Islam. For prior to Islam, these nations were engulfed in a sleep of ignorance. The fair-minded researchers of Europe have admitted to their grace and blessing of Islam in clear words, and they have admitted that the West acquired its first lesson in modern sciences from Islam. Finally, upon his arrival to Jerusalem is the scene of the past prophets offering their salat behind the holy prophet However, this scene is an explanation of it in itself, which requires no further elucidation. Similarly, there are various other points in the Isra as well, but with the thought of brevity, we shall rest at this alone. Therefore, the Miraj and Isra were two remarkably outstanding visions in which the forthcoming victories and achievements of the Holy Prophet and his community were shown. Occurrences that took place thereafter confirmed that these visions were from God because whatever was shown to the Holy Prophet occurred as such. They are occurring and shall continue to occur. Now look, what status does a physical and bodily journey have in comparison to such a magnificent perspective? If these journeys are understood as merely physical and bodily, their implications would be no more than the fact that by his omnipotence God the Almighty physically took the Holy Prophet from Mecca to Jerusalem miraculously, or that he lifted him from this world and gave him a tour of the heavens. No doubt this can be thought of as a very fine and powerful experience, but it has no value before the glorious truths hidden beneath these spiritual sites, the span of which are virtually spread between the migration of Yathrib and the end of time. However, it is unfortunate that a class of the so-called Muslims does not wish to give this occurrence greater significance than that of a mere spectacle. Even though God the Almighty indicates that great signs are hidden within these spiritual visions. It should also be remembered that more or less such visions were shown to all the prophets. Moreover, all the prophets were made to witness the general future of their respective communities. Similarly, various mystics have written that every prophet has received a miraj. The spiritual vision of Moses has actually been recorded in the Holy Quran as well. But the sight which was shown to the Holy Prophet and the miraj which he received possesses such astronomical grandeur in its superiority, breadth, and diversified states which no other individual has attained. Historians are at a disaccord in the date of the Miraj and Isra. However, a better part of these narrations state that these visions were shown to the Holy Prophet some time prior to his migration to Yathrib. In the least, the explanation of the vision of the Isra, which is substantiated, supports the ideology that the vision of the Isra occurred near the migration. Imam Bukhari, whose level of narration has been accepted as very authentic, has recorded that occurrences of the Isra and Miraj just before the migration. Therefore, the notion of most historians seems to be correct that the Isra and Miraj took place one year prior to the migration. Most definitely this is true for the Isra, although the occurrence of the Miraj perhaps may have taken place prior to this. There's also disagreement between historians in the order of both these instances. These people who consider these two journeys a single journey or two portions of the same journey generally order the Isra first and the Miraj afterwards. It is their belief that first the Holy Prophet was taken from Mecca to Jerusalem and was then lifted into the heavens from there. However,
However, we have proven that this notion is not correct. Rather, the Miraj and Isra are two separate occurrences altogether. However, the problem is that there is a disagreement in the order of these two instances between those who consider them separate occurrences. Ibn Ishaq has kept the Isra first and the Miraj afterwards. This belief is reinforced by Bukhari as well, which has presented separate chapters for the Isra and Miraj and mentioned the Isra first and Miraj subsequently. However, Ibn Sa'd has clearly expressed an opinion contrary to this and with specific dates has kept the Miraj first and then the Isra. As such, Ibn Sa'd has mentioned the Miraj to have taken place in Ramadan and the Isra in Rabiul Awal. The inclination of Tabari also seems to be in the same direction that the occurrence of the Miraj is before the Isra because Tabari has kept the Miraj at the beginning of prophethood. We have not gone into a deeper study of these dates, but by an elaborate study of these occurrences, we are inclined towards the belief that the occurrence of the Miraj took place before the Isra.